So it's really interesting to hear you say that. I mean, very concretely, we doubled our revenue. We doubled the number of clients. We doubled our conversions on everything across the board. Our launches doubled in size from the very first campaign we did together. So it was a it was an incredibly apparent benefit and it it far exceeded the the initial investment. It was a very clear like black and white signal to me that it was an effective addition to the funnel. You're listening to the Stuff Marketers Say podcast. Be sure to download now. The price increases to 9.97 starting tomorrow from start to scale and beyond. All right, Jesse, excited to chat with you about this episode. Initial thoughts. What do you think? I think it was a great episode for a number of different reasons. One uh, thing that always stands out to me is the fact that once a performer, always a performer. Digging into her background of being like a, a elite athlete and, and kind of what it takes to do that and how that I see that transfer over into so many other areas of life in general, whether it's the discipline that it takes or the commitment to it and the fact that like she was able to kind of transfer that to a business that is highly competitive in a highly competitive market and pretty much stand out right away, I think is a is a really big testament to the fact that coming back to again, the fact that once you're a performer, you're always a performer because of the discipline and those other aspects that I mentioned. I think that's a really interesting point because I think what people are going to realize after listening to this this episode is that it's not oh have everything together, launch it, and then it'd be a success overnight, right? Like there are these there's these iterations and you know, I guess in athletic speak, right, you have to take the reps, right? And over time and over these iterations, I think, you, you know, you have the opportunity as long as you're, you know, self-aware and aware of what's going on to really stumble upon something, you know, and then definitely basically iterate on what's working, you know, forget what's not. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, obviously she's been successful with Facebook and Instagram ads to date. But in this episode, she even talks about some of the things that she's just starting to do, you know, and sort of adding on even from there, like arriving doesn't exist, right? <laughs> yeah. And even for her, like she was like probably one of the top fencers if she going to the, wanted to go to the Olympics, but there's always like that next thing that always, you know, oh no, there's the Olympics are like, Hey, I got a silver and then oh, I got to get gold. There's always something else. And I think that that translated really well for her into business. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in the in the athletic space, I mean, or the exercise, you know, fitness, nutrition space, because as you mentioned, I mean, it's a super saturated area, right? Like it's not, I would say it's probably among the harder areas just to jump in and build a really engaged audience. Yeah, definitely. So, so yeah. And I guess in general, just from her time working with us at Till, what would you say from your perspective are the things that really stand out to you in terms of what made her successful? Yeah, I think that there are a couple of things. One is the fact that even though she had some of those reservations, she was still willing to test it and just see what the data told her. I'm not going to be that person that says, you know, even though I may believe it, I would never fight someone and saying like, hey, like, I don't think ads for work for me. I've tried it a bunch of times and it just doesn't fit. So, okay, like you gave it a shot. You, you know, that's what the data told you. Good for you. doesn't mean that you couldn't try something else and potentially try to make that work. But for her in, in that situation, she's like, oh, let's see what happens. Is it going to make my brand feel inauthentic or is it going to, you know, just not make sense on the number side of things and, and on the ROI side of things? So I think that was a big thing is she was willing to jump in there and try it. The next thing that really contributed to her being successful is the fact that she was willing to try things that she was like, oh, I don't think that that's going to work. When we started talking about scale, she's like, well, like, I don't know, like I've spent this much and I made this much. Like I don't want to totally cannibalize my profits by spending all that on ads, was, you know, but she was open to trying that. And even if it was a little bit more, more slowly, or, you know, especially at first, 
those aspects of her being willing to say, hey, let's, I have something that's working. I just need more people. How do we get more people? And just being willing to try to put herself out there to get more people into that funnel. Obviously, she saw great results in that because only because she was willing to continue to grow that and listen to the data on what is working and kind of doubling down on those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say she doesn't give herself enough credit in the episode. You know, I'd mentioned that one of the things that stuck out to me, and I remember just the initial call that I had with her, that she could tell me at each stage of her funnel about how many people converted, you know? And so we had a pretty good idea. 100%. Yeah, we had a pretty good idea going into it. Like, hey, these are pretty good organic results. As we've said about ads a million times, you know, for those who have been listening, Facebook amplifies results, right? So if you're not getting great results, you know, it's like throwing money in a dumpster fire. If you are getting pretty good organic results, it can be a really great way to amplify, multiply those results or, you know, of course, scale those results. Uh, Another thing that really stuck out for her and what's helped and contributed to her success organically and on the ad side of things is she really knows her strengths and she doubles down on them when she talks like, oh, video is really important to me. I'm going to get over, you know, videos do really well on Instagram. I'm going to transfer and start making a ton of content for YouTube. A lot of people might think like, oh, that's an easy transition. You're just making like, no, like jumping from 30 second videos to, you know, five, 10 minute long videos on YouTube. That's a big transition to make. It's a lot more work. And she went in and she did that because she was sticking to her strengths. And then that translated obviously to her webinars and, and all of that. So I think that that's a big piece of it as well. As she saw what was working, even though it may have been a comfortable more work, she went in and she did it. Yeah. And another area where I think she didn't give herself enough credit, you know, talking about that actually not being one of her or one of the things that she feels like she's just, you know, sort of inherently good at, I guess, but realizing that there's the, you know, the potential there. And, you know, just kind of focusing a lot of, a lot of effort there. But, you know, like I was saying too, she just understood her numbers at each step of the way. And I don't think you have to be some sort of statistics major in order to understand those numbers, but she had put in the effort to understand those numbers so that when we started talking about things like goals and we started explaining, you know, like maybe what she could expect, I think that a lot of that made sense to her because she already understood her numbers. But regardless, I think one of the reasons that this is one of our first interviews is, you know, I think we'd all agree that she's just such an impressive person, certainly business person. And I'm really excited for people to listen to this episode. Welcome to the Stuff Marketers Say podcast. I'm here with April Whitney of Smalletics, one of Till Agency's clients. April, how long have you been a client of Till to date? It's been about, I think, eight or nine months, I want to say last spring. Yeah, it's been a while. And I mean, it's been great working with you. Same. Yeah, we've really enjoyed that. And so I, I can't wait to dive into a little bit of, you know, even our initial conversation and, and kind of what got me excited about talking to you back in whenever that was, March or whenever we ended up connecting. But thanks for taking the time to uh, chat with us today about how you convert people into paying clients of yours. It's been fascinating to watch, but congratulations on getting engaged. Thank you so much, Davey. I'm really excited to be here today. There's a lot to chat about. So I'm excited to dive in. Yeah. Awesome. So can you give people just an idea of what Smalletics is and kind of who you serve, what you do? Yeah, of course. So Smalletics is the leading online fitness and health community for petite women, five foot four and shorter. Our core offering is a 12 week transformation program. It's a lifestyle program offering fitness and nutrition advice, and it's a program. And we also have other offerings. We do 
well, back before COVID, we did, you know, community activations, events, and really now it was always online, but really now it's grown online quite a bit with COVID and we continue to run all of our offerings on the internet. Yeah. And so how's that been? I mean, have you found that more people are gravitating towards online fitness since COVID? I mean, obviously online is kind of the option, but I feel like even friends of mine kind of realizing at some point during the pandemic, especially during the lockdown, realizing, okay, I need to stop eating and sitting around and then, you know, go out and do some activity. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the positive things that's come out of COVID, and I like to look at the positive sides, is just people looking inward and kind of reflecting on their health in light of the pandemic and just also free time. And we saw, not that I would ever want to benefit from a pandemic, but we saw a huge surge in new customers uh, around March and then all summer and sort of a new, I guess I would say almost a new form of empowerment, especially for women. We teach strength training, which isn't always easy for women to get into with sort of stigmas and other things. But yeah, just because now it's their kind of their only option, they're like, okay, I can do this now. Let me figure this out, which I think is really positive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit, give us a little bit of a uh, background on like your journey with fitness and nutrition and eventually how you got down to serving petite women in particular. Yeah, because it's so niche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a former elite athlete in the sport of fencing and I was trying to make the Olympics, actually this year's Olympics. And I fenced for 18 years. I did World Cups, international events. It was basically my life. And when I graduated college, I started working in pharmaceuticals as a science copywriter. And I was doing it to fund my fencing dream. So I was waking up really early in the morning, like five, training, going to my corporate job in Manhattan, and then going back to the fencing club to train again from you know six to 11 at night. And I sort of reached this point in my fencing career where I started lifting weights more. And I saw kind of coincidentally a huge transformation in just my physique. I went from doing a lot of cardio-based training to losing fat and just getting really toned. And I have a background in sciences. So while I was at my job, I started researching and looking through some of the research on height and fitness. And that led me to discover some really interesting things about height and metabolism. And I basically discovered that the shorter you are, the slightly slower metabolism you have which was nothing new, but no one's ever really translated that into a fitness program. So I kind of was reflecting on what I had been doing the last few months. And I was like, wow, this could really help a lot of other short women who keep doing cardio and dieting and trying this, you know, try to force this one route and not see success for it. And so that's kind of where it started. And I had this developing interest for strength training. So I went and got my personal training certification just for fun. I just wanted to learn more. And then it sort of started to form a more real idea and opportunity in my head that I could actually go for it. So I started an Instagram page. It pretty much took off this really nice niche community. I was just speaking to other petite women, other short women, and giving a lot of free value, like workouts, sharing my journey, sharing my own transformation, sharing a lot of science. And that was the very beginnings of how it started, start, like sort of started to gel. Yeah. So I didn't know you were, I knew you were an elite athlete. I didn't know fencing was a sport. I somehow have missed that. How did I not know that? That's amazing. I don't know. So real quick, a few side questions regarding fencing. Are you still fencing? No, I actually retired. Okay. What led to retirement? Honestly, Smalletics became my love and my passion and it it took off. And I, I just got to this point where fencing, I was no longer 
giving my all to it. And if you want to go to the Olympics, it has to be like the only thing that you are looking at. You cannot be distracted. You can't have other things going on. And I, I was really putting a lot of emotional and, you know, just time resources towards building the business and just loving every moment of it. I just decided I'm just forcing it at this point. It's time to kind of move on to this next thing. Yeah. And last question about fencing. How'd you get into fencing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of like a master of niches, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I was nine, I had just quit gymnastics. I've always been an athlete. I asked my mom if there was such thing as sword fighting from Peter Pan. I had just seen Peter Pan for the first time. And she was like, that's kind of weird. But yeah, there is sport like that. And she drove me 45 minutes from our house, grew up in Connecticut, to try it out, try a lesson out. And I ended up just taking to it really naturally. Like it really felt like I had done it in a past life or something. They didn't really have to show me much. And a few years later, I was fencing national events. And then I got recruited to the best club in the United States in New York City. And that's how I ended up in New York City. Yeah, that is incredible. That is just, uh, that is so (laughs) cool. Speaking of niches, we've all, you know, we've all heard riches are in the niches. And I think what that leads uh, to some people maybe niching down into some really sort of odd places and maybe it not panning out and kind of being like, okay, well, you know, I know that you're supposed to niche down, but what does that actually look like? So when did you know that like this niche, there was something to it? Like when did you start figuring out? Yeah, actually there is a market for fitness for petite women. I will say every sign pointed towards pointed me towards the direction of not pursuing the niche. When I first started researching, should I really stick with this niche? I went on Google, right? I looked, I tried to look for short girl fitness, petite fitness, and there was no Google searches. And at mm-hmm. this point, I had no really not a lot of business knowledge. I had never, you know, I studied science in school and I didn't know what would make it a good niche to pursue. But what I had heard was if it doesn't automatically generate a lot of search results, then there's probably not a lot of interest in it. And so it's probably not a good business idea. So I had a lot of signs that were like telling me not to pursue it, but I couldn't deny the fact that when I went on social media, there was a growing community of women DMing me all the time and they wanted to learn more. And there was a really authentic kind of element to it that I just couldn't deny. So I would say I went against, I think, logic and what an actual business person, if they were, you know, had an MBA or something, it did not check off those boxes whatsoever. But that also taught me a valuable lesson in that if you are doing something that's pretty authentic to you, if it's a problem you've struggled with, there's probably a market that's just not been created yet that could be tapped into. Yeah. And so how did you go about targeting that demographic. I mean, because it is one thing to have people DMing you and you obviously gauge that there's some sort of interest there, but how did you open that up to find a market that could then make this a an actual business for you? Sure. Like the very beginnings of how I reached this. Yeah, pretty much. How'd you generate engagement amongst this community? Sure. Mostly I took to Instagram. That was the platform I chose. I decided to just go all in on Instagram my first year. And I posted every day, sometimes twice a day, and I posted a lot of free value. So it was things that I was learning in my certifications, free workouts. I would reply to every DM. And then I also would seek out other petite bloggers because there's no petite fitness niche, but there's petite fashion, that which is huge. There's other kind of tangential industries where I said, okay, I thought they have the audience that I also want to have. So I befriended a lot of those bloggers. I commented on all of their posts. I liked their stuff. And I think that helped increase the visibility early on. 
to kind of attract some of my ideal clients. Yeah, I mean, and that's such a, I mean, such a good idea going to some of these other, because there is, a, I mean, petite fitness, for instance, and just married to a petite woman. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah. So I like, I know there's a huge industry there, right? So I guess it makes yeah. a lot of sense to go to where I, I guess that's, you know, to a certain extent, business one-on-one, but still one of those, those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, that's such a good idea to go to where those people already are and seek out partnerships like that and get in front of those people's audience. And then, you know, the fact that really you're the only person in that space probably works out really well. But I mean, I think I would have probably said the same thing. Well, if there's no search, you know, if there's... If there's no search volume for this kind of thing, then I'm not sure of how much interest it's going to be to people, but good on you for kind of sticking to that route in that niche. So how did that evolve from just engaging people on Instagram to turning them into clients? Like, What did your early sales funnel look like in your early offerings? Sure. So early on, which was 2017, 2018, so still not that long ago, I took that program that I had gone through myself and I created a Google Doc. I had some video, I just took some videos on my iPhone of me doing exercises and I made like a very, very minimal viable product situation. And I basically went on Instagram and I said, I need 20 women to try this program for free. I just need you to commit to completing it and give me your pictures, your transformation, basically marketing materials. And it was very easy to find 20 women. I had to basically screen them and have them apply because there were a number of women that applied. And I had them go through the program. They all got incredible results. And that formed the very basis of what I would use to then go out and market this program, which is today the Petite Power Program. But back then it was what it was something totally different, but just kind of not developed yet. And then over the next six months, I just decided to do this. I honestly not sure why I went this route. I think I just didn't know what else to do. I decided to do a Kickstarter for this product. It was a fitness and nutrition ebook and program essentially. And the Kickstarter was actually the best thing I did because it got me out of my comfort zone. I it got me to activate my entire network. You know, I, anyone I had ever known in my life, I had reached out. I would reach out to for the campaign, and we generated. I think about a little over $8,000 in pre-order book sales. The book was like $67, something like $65. And that was really successful in just getting the initial word out. It wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough that I felt kind of there was proof of concept in that. And it also taught me a lot of campaigning and marketing skills that I didn't have as a 20, I don't know, four-year-old at the time or 25. So it just kind of set me up to have a minimal go-to-market materials and also see that, okay, a lot of people would like to have this program. And at that time, it was just an ebook. Now it's a full-fledged program with dietitians and coaches, but it started off there. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, eventually evolves into this. So, so what did that evolution look like from ebook Kickstarter to getting it to the program that it is today? Yeah. So I realized I made a very <laughs> fatal mistake early on with that ebook. And that's that when you have a small audience and you're a small creator, you're just starting out with your business, especially in the fitness industry where pricing tends to be lower, it's very hard to bring in enough revenue from an ebook that's $65. You'd have to have a large audience and a high volume to really make that a viable way to stay alive, you know, month to month as a business. So I realized that I should grow the program by offering more value, some more one-on-one, -on -one, more accountability and support, and then increase the price and accept fewer people in. 
this was based off of the idea that obviously the business model of $65 for an ebook was not going to work in the long run. And secondly, that my customers from the ebook, they would all message me and say, Hey, I want to meet other women who are doing this. I, w- I want to talk with you. Can, can we hop on the phone? I want, they wanted coaching and they wanted more education and more feedback than what just an ebook could give them. So in the next iteration of the program, I added in, you know, a Facebook group for community and I started doing group coaching calls. I knew because I was at this point, I had quit my job and started being a personal trainer. I knew that the one-on-one format was not scalable because it requires my time. So I turned it into a group coaching program. And I actually think it increased the value because women can kind of mastermind with each other and, and build that community. So it was a combination of a gut feeling, knowing that the business model I started with wasn't going to be viable if I wanted to build a real company. And thirdly, listening to all my customers' feedback. Sure. You know, I know you mentioned framing it as a fatal mistake with the ebook, but it sounds like you learned a lot through that experience. And I got to imagine there's other parts to it. I mean, just, you know, some of the basics probably of even email marketing, which I know you're well, well beyond the basics now of, of what you, what you have set up there, you know, but just reaching out to everybody and then understanding once the ebook has launched. And that still sounds like a great campaign, a successful Kickstarter campaign in and of itself. But from there, kind of understanding, okay, what are some of the pieces that this, this is missing, you know, in terms of accountability and some one-on-one time with you and, and so on and so forth. Do you regret going the ebook route? No, definitely not. I agree with you. I'm definitely from my background in athletics. I also am a big believer in like mistakes teach you so much. You're not going to be successful without tripping up a bunch. And at the time, I also, you asked me about my funnel. I realized I didn't answer this. I had no funnel. Like I had no email marketing strategy. I didn't even know what a funnel was. I didn't know what a lead magnet was. Like my knowledge of marketing was very minimal. So the Kickstarter got me to dip my toes into email campaigns, which I had never done. So yeah, it was a really good introduction to, it was like a crash course in digital marketing, essentially. Yeah. Awesome. Let's dive in and talk a little bit about your current funnel and what that looks like from free ebook lead magnet through actually working with you. And I just want to say, I remember an initial phone call with you chatting about your business and just how precise you were about understanding each aspect of the funnel, like the numbers of each aspect of the funnel here, how many people are opting in here, how many people signing up for the webinar and so on and so forth. And I thought that was so valuable. And so I think if people take away anything from this is like kind of really getting down and understanding the numbers and, and being intentional about how they set things up. But anyways, walk us through from the very beginning. What does that look like when somebody's never heard of, of you before? How do they typically come about hearing you? Sure. So because like you said earlier, because there is no competition, it's a low search volume, low competition topic. I do dominate that SEO. If anyone types in short girl fitness, it's going to be like 10 small analytics results. So there is a fair number of traffic from just that small market share that's Googling. And then the rest would be from backlinks on the internet. YouTube is a huge driver of traffic. I expanded my social social network strategy from Instagram into YouTube. I think video is really important. And then Facebook community, Instagram. Yeah. And once they find me on any given social channel, there'll always be a link to my free guide. It's the only free guide, the only kind of, it's a very start to the funnel where we try to capture as many people as possible. It's a 42 page fat loss guide and free week of workouts for 50 women. So that's the very entry point into the email list. Awesome. So when people get to that point, that's pretty much the only place to opt in, right? Yeah, it would be that. And then if I'm in a live launch hosting a webinar, that's the only other time that they could get on my email list pretty much. Sure. It's pretty simple. 
And so what does that look like from the time they sign up to your email list before they get some sort of offer to take the next step with you? Yeah. So in the lead magnet, the very first one, the free guide, there's a welcome series that's dripped over seven days. And it just kind of gets them into the short girl gang culture, what we call it, and teaches them about their body. There's a lot of free value. So they'll receive that welcome series from me. And the call to action on all those emails is to get on the wait list for the full program. So they try the first week of the program in the free guide, but then if they want to, if they're interested, they can get on the wait list. So at this point, they either go through the welcome series and don't do anything, or they're choosing to learn more by hopping on the wait list. And we email our wait listers and everyone on our master list for our email list, a weekly newsletter, which has content. It's just recycling content that I've posted throughout the week. And at the very bottom, there is a snippet on wins from Petite Power Program, and they change every week from our clients. So they're starting to get a sense of the community and what could be possible for them, what kind of results they could get every single week that's showing up as a newsletter in there. Inbox. Yeah. I've always been sort of jealous of the fitness industry in that respect is because it's so easy <laughs> to pretty much show whether things work right or not. I know that the hard part about that for you all is of course you have to put together a program that works, but since yours works, you probably have, uh, or I know you have so many different testimonials and, and people that can feature week to week. Even you know when people sign up for your email list, I know that you're pretty active in just posting different workouts on Instagram, Instagram stories. So there's other ways for people to start consuming some information from you while they wait maybe for your full program to, to open up. And what does that look like when your full program opens up? So it goes from them being on the wait list to you announcing the full programs open up. Is there a middle step? I know there's a webinar in there. What does that look like? Yes. Yeah, so we right now it's all live launches so they can only purchase for a five-day window only a few times per year and they will if they're on the welcome series during a time where the doors are open to join the call to action changes from joining the waitlist to registering to attend the free training and basically what it looks like is i i host a number of free trainings and it's uh you know 40 minutes of really valuable information i let them know at the beginning that I'm going to invite them to join the program so that they know up front there's transparency. And then at the end, I just invite them to come aboard. That's where we get probably 60 to 75% of our new customers just from webinar conversions. And in the past, our webinars have converted really well. It's been always 6 to 10% conversion. And the other customers will come from the waitlist. They'll just purchase from email. We just started recently doing pre-enrollment calls, which I, I had never done sales calls ever before, but we started taking them because people, I think it's just a nice personal touch. And also at this point, there's over 2000 people on the waitlist and a lot of them are just sitting there, but they're like not taking action. So this was just to kind of implement a, another way for them to get unstuck with where they are. So then the doors close and the program starts and it's just, you know, delivering them amazing results. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I mean, a few of the things that you do, right? I mean, I mean, besides your emails, which are consistent and intentional, but the webinar, I think bridges that trust gap, maybe more quickly than just sending emails. You know, I'm sure it all works together, but being able to see you on video, hear your voice, hear a bunch of great content over a, a more extended amount of time. And then the sales call is so interesting as well. I wonder, you know, your background in pharmaceutical sales, do you th feel like that helps at all with these sales calls? You know, I wasn't a rep. I wasn't a drug rep. I was oh, I worked okay. at an sorry. advertising agency. No, it's okay. But I do really appreciate what you said earlier about how 
there's a direct, you can show the results in fitness really easily. Cause when I worked in pharma, you can't really show a medicine working. That's why pharma ads are so bad. Like they're just like people smiling. <laughs> so yeah, I can appreciate, I did learn some things from my like short stunt with pharma, but not so much sale. I didn't learn any sales. I had no sales skills. Yeah. See, I guess my mind just went there because I feel like you're so dynamic on video, just like through Instagram, obviously your webinar is super successful. So it just makes sense to me that sales calls would go really well for you too. But again, I think that's just an easy way to bridge that trust gap because people actually get to talk to you and hear your voice yeah. and you know you can speak specifically to their concerns. So you started this. How long did you do this before running any sort of paid advertising to this funnel? Almost two and a half years was all organic. And yeah, we scaled past six figures without adding advertising first. Yeah. And again, just going back to what I re really appreciate about our initial call was that you had a very good understanding of your numbers you know, at, at each part of the funnel. And I think that's so important, especially walking into something like paid advertising, because you can start understanding whether it's making a uh, difference or not. How do you feel like paid advertising has, has helped your funnel? So, so much. And it's funny you, you say that I'm, uh, I seemed good with my numbers. I would have to say, I think I'm really bad with numbers. Like it's my <laughs> weakness. So it's really interesting to hear you say that. I mean, very concretely, we doubled our revenue. We doubled the number of clients. We doubled our conversions on everything across the board. Our launches doubled in size from the very first campaign we did together. So it was a, it was an incredibly apparent benefit and it, it far exceeded the the initial investment. It was a very clear, like black and white signal to me that it was an effective addition to what the funnel. Yeah. I just remember in talking to you in the beginning and hearing about some of your organic results, you know, it was a, a clear indication to us that you had really honed in on your offer. And heck, I mean, I think just the, I, I don't remember having heard that you had run that funnel for two years, but certainly two years is time to really hone in on that offer and exactly what you're providing people. And you already have all sorts of case studies of people that you helped. And so I think going into it, hearing about your conversion rate at each step of the way, especially from webinar to, you know, people who are actually signed up for the program for us, it was a lot of, okay, well, there's not like a huge amount of tweaking we have to do to the funnel. I don't think really any at all. It's more just, okay, let's get more people in front of this offer. And I think along the way, we've seen that, but then your Instagram continues to grow. Some of these other, you know, that are also organic channels continue to grow, I think, as a result of some of the paid traffic that we're doing as well. So I think it's just been a very good setup in that way. Yeah, totally. One of my biggest reservations to paid advertising was, I felt like among my other business friends, there's a stigma that you shouldn't need it, like it's or like it'll remove some kind of authenticity from my brand. And that's one of our core values. So I always had this fear like I should be able to reach my goals, you know, without paid ads. But if anything, it's just, it's, I mean, I, we've gotten some of the most meaningful new clients and interactions from ads. It's just helped me connect to this audience that is already looking for the solution even more. So I think some of those initial fears is what held me back for a while, but it definitely did help to have an already high performing funnel in place that I had been tweaking for the past eight months or so prior. Yeah, 100%. I can't emphasize, I think, how important that is because one thing that we are very upfront with people about is like paid advertising is not going to fix a bad offer, right? So there might be a short term, like, oh, you know, maybe you get a bump in sales or revenue or whatever. But if people realize, hey, this is a bad offer or this isn't actually performing or this isn't actually delivering results, at the end of the day, it's not going to help you grow. So, of yeah. course, 
you know, uh, somebody like you who has a great offer, has gotten people results, has a high performing funnel, you know, I think that's a perfect recipe for adding in some paid traffic and then seeing the kind of results that we've been able to see with your account. I was going to mention something else just about your feedback with, you know, authenticity. You know, that's something that we've heard before. And we're always really happy to hear from clients that had that hesitation around authenticity that turned out not to be, you know, not to lead to any sort of inauthenticity, I guess. And I think at the end of the day, it just goes back to Facebook and Instagram or paid advertising in general, amplifying results, you know, getting you in front of more people. But it's not like it changes your brand voice at all. It's not like we're tricking people into, I think it's when people try to treat ads as a shortcut to success that they run into those sorts of issues. So really happy to hear that kind of feedback for sure. Yeah. I also think it's you guys and your approach and just we're now working with several of your team members, I knew that we were a good fit because you guys shared a lot of the same values that I did from a business standpoint. And your team is just, it, you know, for example, your creative team, they wrote copy that fit the brand perfectly. Like I never even have changes for you guys. It's always like, it's almost like I wrote it. I'm like, this is exactly what the message is. So I think also you guys just really get it. And that has made my job very easy. <laughs> That's good. Well, we are super happy to hear that. And we've really enjoyed working with you. And I'm excited to share this interview with people because I think, again, and I hope, I mean, even not having been super familiar with a lot of your backstory, even more so now, feel like there's just so much for people to pick up in here. And if you are a listener and you have questions, send them along. And if they're questions we can't answer, we'll send over to April and we'll see if we can get answers for you about any aspect of the funnel. To wrap up here, I do want to ask you a question that we're asking everybody. What is the worst business advice that you have ever received? Sure. So I think I have two here. The first one would be, it was advice I didn't ask for. So I don't know if it still counts. But when I was working full-time in my corporate job, there was a lot of influence from my coworkers. I mean, I kept it secret for a while. while I was kind of a side hustle. And then once it was out and it was public... Uh, there was a little bit of judgment. There were people giving me advice, like I said, that I didn't ask for, but mainly they were saying things like, well, you can't quit until you have it fully fleshed out and it's like a thriving business. And and then you can quit your cushy pharma job. And I think that would have been, if I, I followed it for a while, for a few months, but if I followed it forever, I never would have had the time or the energy to really put my all into the company and see it grow. So at some point you got to just if you want it, you have to just go all in. The second thing was I once was told that I should just go on Facebook Live every day and do tons of lives, which in itself is a very viable strategy for many people. But I think the takeaway, it, it didn't feel good to me. I just, it, I'm a converted introvert. So it's a lot of energy for me to do video, even though I love it. And I, I think I do it well. It's a lot from me emotionally and just like just energy wise to get into live trainings every day. So I think that there's, if there's anyone telling you that there's like one right funnel, one strategy, it's just not, you have to go with what feels right for you. Because if you're a single person company and you're the person who's doing it, if it doesn't align with you, people pick up on it, they sense it, it's not going to go anywhere. So I think also just no, like realizing that there are a lot of different quote unquote right ways to go about building your company and creating that path forward rather than just like one platform or like one strategy. 
Yeah. I have a feeling that a lot of the, the worst advice people get is the advice that people never ask for, you know? So yeah. <laughs> not surprising there. But also, you know, I mean, even I guess to even add on to your second point, I think that's right on. I think you should play to your strengths for sure. But I also admire, you know, because I would have never guessed that if something like video would be not like the natural, your natural inclination, right? That's funny. So I think there is something to be said for doing something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. There's probably a little give and take there. Yes, definitely. I really appreciate you taking the time to share what that funnel looks like for you, giving us some background on your business. I know it's going to be super helpful for a lot of people. And where can people follow along online? Yeah. Smalletics, S-M-A-L-L-E-T-I-C-S, like small athletics on Instagram, on YouTube, smalletics.com. Smallletics, everything. <laughs> awesome. And we'll make sure that we include all of those notes in the show notes as well. So if people are listening while they're driving or they're working out, they'll be able to access them there. So thanks again, April. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Davey.